I'm not sure if you noticed in the background of that video while you were, uh, while you were shaking hands and mingling around, you might have heard you too. I have a confession to make. I like you too. Um, yes, I know. I know. I'm sorry. I, uh, I'm sure that there's probably a lot of pastors in this world that might stone me for that, but um, that's the age that I grew up in, and I, I really liked their stuff in the 80s, and um, that song obviously came from there. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard that song. I, I would assume that you have, even in the, the elevator uh, while you're going up. That's a, that's a great song. And the thing is, I think sometimes we miss the words and we forget what... Uh, we do it on Sunday mornings when we're singing sometimes, and we do it as we listen to songs that we hear on the radio. And it's funny, there, uh, I heard a guy talking not too long ago, and he was talking about secular music and Christian music. And he said, really... There's bad Christian music, and there's good Christian music, and there's bad secular music, and there's good secular music. And he said, but the funny thing is, is Christ didn't die for music, so there's really no such thing as Christian music. Just like there's no such thing as a Christian plumber or a Christian, you know, he died for us, not for that kind of music. And sometimes we'll, we'll put these, well, we can't do that, and we can't do this, and, uh, you know, we, uh, <laughs> sad story I heard one time, there was, a, there was a church here in town that actually uh, got on a couple's case, and this is the reason why they left the church, but because they had a Stephen Curtis Chapman CD sitting on their desk, and if, or on, on their uh, dash of their car, and said, you need to put that somewhere where people can't see that, because they don't need to know that you're listening to that. And I was like, what? Seriously? Uh, come to our church, because we don't care. Um, so, <laughs> but the, uh, the whole thing is, is, as I was listening to those words this week, and I was thinking about kind of our culture, maybe even though you've heard that song for 20-something years, so the song's 24 years old, Maybe you've never really listened to what Bono is actually singing and what he is saying. Let me, let me uh, read it to you. I have climbed the highest mountain and I have run through the fields. I have run, I've crawled, I've scaled city walls, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. If you skip down to the last verse, he puts, I believe in the kingdom come. The, the, uh, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one, but yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame Oh, my shame. You know I believe it, but guess what? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I think that song, probably more than any other in our culture, describes our culture today, even though it's 24 years old. It describes us. It describes our people. It describes the people that are sitting in church, and it describes people that are sitting outside of church. That we've missed what it's all about. We're still running. We're still searching. We're Scaling the city walls, we're looking all over for something to fill a void in our life, and we still haven't found that thing. And we could have sat in church for years and years and years, but we've missed it. And I am so glad to have this new year and a, a new chance to make new changes in our lives. And we talked about last week as we're, we're going to uh, start prioritizing our time and, and managing our time better. This morning we're going to talk a little bit even more about managing but I think one of the reasons why um, people miss it is because their whole lives they spent knowing about God. Because if you look at these words, put, you broke the bonds, he knows that. You lose the chains, you carry the cross of my shame. He knows that. But yet he still hasn't found what he's looking for. We know the right answers. We've sat in church and we've heard and we've listened and we've done these things. But we've missed it. We've missed the point of Christ coming. And that is to die on the cross for our sins. And that changes everything. You know, another quote that, that Bono had that he said um, that really fits in with that is he put, sometimes religion gets in the way of God. 
sometimes religion gets in the way of God, and I can fully attest to that. I think that that church that told the person, hey, you can't have that CD out on your dash because people might think something wrong. No, that's not what God's about. It's not about all these rules. Now, we don't just throw the rules aside, but it's about a loving relationship with God, and that is why we follow the the rules that he has laid out there for us, not all these man-made rules that get thrown in. Another thing that Bono said one time, and I think this is part of the reason why our quote-unquote Christians are missing it, is this. He said, Christians are hard to tolerate. I don't know how Jesus does it. (laughs) And I think about that, and I think that is exactly right. And why is it why is it that Christians are hard to tolerate? And I think it's maybe because some, so many of us don't live what we believe. We don't live what we believe. They're missing it, and they haven't found what they're looking for. They'll come in, and they'll do the church, you know, puppetry. They'll go through the motions of what they have to do on a Sunday morning, but they're missing it. Brendan Manning, a Franciscan friar, said it once this way. He put the greatest single cause of atheism in the world is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That's a sad thing. It's a sad thing for us to have said about us that we would be the reason why there's atheists. And I guess it's probably true because when they see the way we live versus the way we talk, they're like, well, I just don't have to talk that way because we live the same. We have the same things except I don't have to get up early on a Sunday morning. And so we, we, they look at that and we think, they think, why do I need to be different? We are called to be different. We are called not just to be different but also to live different. But are we? That is the question I have for you. Are we? Are we living different? You see, I've told you this uh, the last couple of times we've, we've been together, but we are temporarily here. This is a temporary container, and every day it gets older, and every day it breaks down a little bit more, and every day, every day, I'm one step closer to spending eternity with God where my eternity will be, not this temporary place. But yet we have a life like the rest of America or at least most of the rest of America, that we live as if this is where we're going to be, and that this is it, and that we serve these temporary earthly gods. And we get so wrapped up in it. I want you to read, or, uh, read along with me here, if you would. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you have your Bibles with you, I'll ask you to open up to it. If you don't, we'll have it up here on the screen. But um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want you to open your Bibles there. And as we do, I want to pray as we, as we get into this morning. Because this morning, the message could be just a little bit tense for some of us. So I want to get into it, and I want to look at it, but I want to make sure that, that I'm not saying it out of my own heart, but that it's God's Word speaking through me. So let's pray. Father, we love you, and we do thank you for who you are and what you have done in us and through us and even in spite of us. We pray for those that do find you so unbelievable because of your followers. The God that, that their lives can be changed and see that even your followers make mistakes. And that our lives can be changed, be more like you as we follow. We pray that this morning in Lord, your name, Lord. Amen. You know, I look at this, this passage, and it, it's Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he puts this, starting in verse 6 of chapter 6. We'll read 6 through 12, and then we'll skip down to verse 17. So yet, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing in 
nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can take nothing away when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. That's a word that I think we all need to, to wrap our minds around. Let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people, craving money, have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. And I think each one of us should be able to put our name in that. But you, Matthew, but you, blank, are a man or woman of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold on tight to the eternal life which God has called you. Verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. I think we've all seen that. Trust, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need and always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Last week, we talked about time and being a good steward of it. And being a steward, as many of you may or may not know, is to be a manager. God has given us time to manage, and it's how we manage it and how we waste it or how we use it that's so important because it's not our own, and God has given us every second. And I want you to say this with me this morning. If you're taking notes, this is something that I want to get out this morning. No matter what you might uh, be writing down, this is the one thing that I want you to get this morning. I have stewardship. God has ownership. Say it with me. I have stewardship. God has ownership. That's of everything, not just time. Because sometimes we think, oh, yeah, well, God has this and God has it, but this is mine, this is mine. God has given us everything that we have. Everything that we have, God has given us. Our time, our money, our possessions, our family, it's all God's. We have stewardship. God has ownership. And until we learn that, today's message will be a very difficult one to understand. Until we understand that we have only stewardship and not ownership, it changes everything. Today we're going to talk about this thing called money. And it's a subject, like I said, that can be a tense one. And the reason why is because the devil ha- himself has created a lie, and it's one of the, the big lies that he's ever done, that people think that all the church is about is about talking about money and wanting your money. I want to be very clear with you right here, right now, this morning. I do not want your money. Okay? I do not have the perfectly parted hair. I don't have a television ministry to support. My wife does not wear sequins dresses, thick blue eyeliner, and huge eyelashes. She doesn't have big poofy purple hair. Okay? We're not going to have gold thrones up here next week unless somebody makes a funny joke and brings some. Okay? That's the only way it's going to happen. That's not what we're about. But at the same time, God wants what's rightfully His. God wants what's rightfully His. Because if we go back to this, I have stewardship, God has ownership. It's His to begin with. All of it is. But all he's asking for is a tenth in return. Saying, yes, you understand that I'm the source. And we're going to get into that. And some of you may not like it. And you may squirm just a little bit. And you may get up and get mad at me. I don't know. And I, actually, I don't care. But um, the whole thing is, is God wants what is rightfully his. God wants what's rightfully his. And it's a hard thing for us to give to God, especially with the cheerful heart that he asks us to give it to him in. 
it's a hard thing to do. We, we like to hold on to that stuff. And the reason why is, is that we love money. Okay? We love money. If we're going to quote Bono, we might as well quote Madonna as well. I'm living in a material world and I am just a material girl or boy. You know, that's, that's kind of the thinking that we have. We love money and we like the idea of money. And when we say, well, it's God's, well, it makes it a little more difficult to love it. It makes it a little bit more difficult to love it. As a matter of fact, we wake up every morning in the pursuit of money. We go get a job and we have a job because we want money. We want a better job because we want more money. You go to school because you want to get good grades and because you have to. But on the, in the end, you go to college so you can get a good job and get money. That's what it's about. And that's where we're at. As a matter of fact, the number one competitor for your heart, God's number one competitor is money. Money is God's number one competitor for your heart. It's so easy for us to get wrapped up. And the thing is, is that money is not a bad thing. Even in the passage we just wrote, it says the root of all evil is the love of money. It's not money, but it's our love for it and the fact that we put it first in our lives. Jesus knew we'd struggle with money, and that's why he talked about it more than he talked about heaven and hell. He knew that we could not, if we could not manage it well, that it would manage us. And that's not a good thing. And I would venture to bet that a lot of people in this room right now are not managing their money. Their money is managing them. Your debt is piled up to the point where it changes the way that you live. And doesn't give you the freedom to do the things that God wants you to do because of the different things that money has caused. So what we need to do this morning, as we talk about managing our money, I think it all starts with that thing that was in that passage, and that is be content. Be content. How hard is it to be content? For me, it's difficult. Maybe you have an easier time with it, but for me, it's difficult. I should be content with what I have. But I live in a culture, I live in a culture that wants me to not be content. Have you ever seen a commercial that says, be fine with what you have. If you really need it, come out and buy my product. Never. It always shows very, very happy people. And when we sit there and look at the commercial, we're like, I wish I could be as happy as them. And that's the reason why we're not content with things. And we live in this culture that says, If you want to be happy, you have to accumulate more. You have to accumulate more. Did you know in the year that I was born, 1976, that there was 9,000 products on the average store shelf? Today, are you shaking your head because I was born in 1976? Okay, sorry. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For those of you who graduated high school in 1976, I apologize. Um, The... uh, there was an average of 9,000 things on a store shelf, though, in 1976. In today's day and age, there are 30,000 different items on store shelves. And the reason for it is plain and simple, because we want more. We want more, and we want more selection, and we want more things. And because more makes us happy. You know McDonald's? They have a little meal for kids. It's called the what? The Happy Meal. And what makes it happy? Is it because there's a cheeseburger inside or french fries inside or a drink that comes with it? No. It's the cheap plastic toy because i got to have it. I'm telling you, if we go anywhere into Walmart, 
because the Walmart over there has a McDonald's in it, and you walk in, they have a big stand that shows all the toys, and my kids are like, we got to go to McDonald's because I want that toy. Not because I'm hungry. That's what's going to make me happy, is that toy that will break by the time we get home, and I will guarantee it will break. And that's what makes us happy. And that's the things, and it was taught to us from a very young age. The Old Testament sums it up with a word called covet. An unquenchable desire for more. Galatians 5.20 calls it a selfish ambition, or the literal Greek word, which is, that, that means selfish ambition, it, or used there, is to mean to grasp for more and more. To grasp for it. We have to have it. It's our ambition. That's what our life's goal is, to get more stuff. To get more stuff. It's that drive for more and more that causes a lack of contentment. It causes us to mismanage our time and it causes it to mismanage our money. You know what? God doesn't like it. God doesn't like it. That's not what he created us for. Yet that is what our inner desire it always is. There's a couple of reasons why I think God doesn't like it. And this is the first one. I think lack of commitment, or sorry, lack of contentment causes our priorities to be messed up. It causes our priorities to be messed up. And this kind of goes along the same thing we talked about last week with time. We had to have our priorities in order. But lack of contentment causes our priorities to be messed up because if we want something more than we want God, that's a problem. That is a big problem. If we got to work and work and work and put God aside and say, you know what, I can't go to church or I can't do that connection group, I can't spend time reading my Bible or I can't spend time praying or whatever it is, if that, something comes in, that, in the way of God, that is a problem. We need to get our priorities straight, but lack of contentment messes up our priorities. We fall into traps. We pursue things instead of pursuing God. And that's a problem. When stuff becomes the most important thing, God gets left out. Second thing is, is God doesn't like our lack of contentment because it messes up our relationships. You know what the number one reason why, mon- uh, why couples fight and most couples get divorced? Money. Money issues. Think about the amount of times that you fought with your spouse and how many times it's been about money versus anything else. It's money. And it's that love of money and that desire for it. Look what it says in James chapter 4, verse 1. It says, What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. The drive for more and more can be very damaging to our relationships. It's a preoccupation with stuff that drives us a a wedge between us and other people. And that's a bad thing. Third, and this is the one I want to focus on the most today, our drive for more messes up our finances. It messes up our finances. We buy more than we can afford because we want more than we need. Did you hear that? We buy more than we can afford because we want more than we need. You know what I need? Nothing. You know what I want? Everything. Because that's who I am. And that's who we are. And that's who we've been bred to be from the time we were little. We think we need more to be happy. And maybe it's a lesson that's a little too late for some of you who bought a bunch of stuff to be happy over Christmas and now you're realizing that most of it's going to goodwill in the next year. We buy more than we need because we, we want more. Not because we need more. There are people all over the world that are little, with little that are happier than people who make six-figure incomes. And that alone should tell us that stuff doesn't bring happiness. The worst thing is when you combine the philosophy that things bring happiness with the ease of credit cards, that is where it really messes things up. 
Someone once said that credit cards let you start at the bottom and then dig a hole for you. And that's exactly right. I learned that very easily. I went to an Arizona Cardinals game when Arizona had, was, was first playing and it was uh, the Cardinals versus the Packers and they had a little booth stand there and you could win a free towel if you just signed up for this credit card. And I'm like, oh, cool, a towel. And, uh, and I'd never had a credit card before and the coolest thing was is I could get a Packers logo on my credit card. Who can beat that for 19% interest, right? So when you're, when you're 20 years old, you're thinking, this is great. This is just amazing. And I, and I had little expenses, um, and I was in the process of rebuilding a Mustang. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I can get a new hood. Swipe. Ooh, I can get a new fender. Swipe. Those things are $300. But my minimum payment was only $13. That's right. Well, let me tell you something. That $2,000 limit got eaten up pretty quick. And when you have little, little expenses and little income, that becomes a problem. When you're trying to figure out where that money's going to go. And did you know the average American gets 32, 32 credit card offers a year? And how many of them jump on that? And it's always the, well, do the zero balance transfer or do this or do that. And maybe there's this same as cash for a short amount of time. Or that minimum payment's going to be so low. You should just do it this way. It eats us up and it tears us up. Do you realize that if you pay the minimum payment on a balance of $4,000, it'll take you 42 years to pay it off? 42 years to pay off a minimum, if you pay the minimum balance. And you know how much money you'll spend over that 42 years to pay off a balance of $4,000? $14,000. You spend an extra $10,000. When I was in high school, all my friends worked at Discover Card. Discover Card has a really, really nice building. There's a reason for it. Because you're paying for it. And that's the reason for it. We get so wrapped up in that stuff. And those things, that, that hole that we dig ourselves in, tends to depress us. Eventually we get to the point where, oh, I just can't take this anymore. I can't do it. I, I just work to pay these bills. I'm a slave. Well, that's funny because the Bible actually says that. That you're a slave to the people you're indebted to. All I do is to work to pay these bills. We get ourselves so caught up in that. Did you know that, like I said, it tends to depress us, that non-modernized cultures have little to no cases of depression, where here in America, over 20% of all of Americans are on some sort of depression medication, yet we have everything that's supposed to make us happy? More and more of this is beginning to make sense as as the chips fall into place. The reason are, We're so focused on what we have to get that when we get it, it disappoints us. And then we're unhappy and we're living this unfulfilled life. So what do we do? We have to try and get something else to fulfill us. And that turns out to be empty as well. We still haven't found what we're looking for. 1 Timothy 6, our passage that we talked about, it talks about pursuing things at a cost that leads to destruction. Pursuing things at a cost, it just leads to destruction. So what can we do about it? What can we do about it? How do we manage our money, especially if we're already in a hole? What do we do? The first thing is we have to open our eyes. We have to open our eyes that stuff is not the answer. It fades away. Anybody ever been in a funeral where a hearse had a hitch on it? Because they were getting ready to pull a U-Haul? No, everything gets left here. Talked about in that passage. We come in with nothing, we leave with nothing. Ecclesiastes says, you come naked, you leave naked. That's just the way it is. 
Even though when you go to a funeral, they put a little suit on it. Well, guess what? That's not going with you. We're not walking around in heaven with that suit that you're wearing, that beautiful dress that you're wearing. Because if it is, I have a friend from First Baptist. She lost her husband uh, uh, not too long ago. And um, he, she was so wanting him to be buried in his Civil War coat. Uh, he had a, like a reenactment coat, and she wanted him to, he wanted to be buried in that, that she forgot when she went to the mortuary to take pants. So if that's the case, he's walking around up there without any pants on. So I'm hoping for his sake that we don't take the stuff we're wearing in the casket with us. It's one of those things that we get so wrapped up in all the stuff here, yet it's all temporary. I was going through some, uh, some CDs the other day, and it's funny as it is, those are becoming just as outdated as cassettes were when I was a kid. And uh, 8-tracks for some of you others when you were a kid, and LPs as well. Um, you know, we spent all this money. I mean, I have this huge book of CDs that I will never listen to again because the songs are old and they're really not that good. And, and I'm looking through it and I'm thinking, wow, how much money did I spend if these were $10 each? I'm just going through book after book after book. after, And I'm like, wow. And it's all for what? All for not. Stuff isn't the answer. God is the answer. And he wants to be first in our time and he wants to be first in our finances. He has to be first in our time. It has to be first in our finances. It goes back to that. I have stewardship. He has ownership. I'm not first. He is. It's a big thing for us to take. It's a hard pill for us to swallow. But he can be the only one that is number one. And that can mean this. We have to give to him before we give it anywhere else. We have to give to him before anyone and anywhere else. And I know most of us don't want to hear that. Because this is where the the church only talks about money. I told you already at the beginning, I don't want your money. But God does want what's rightfully his. There's an Old Testament teaching about a thing called a tithe. Maybe you've heard of it. If you've grown up in the church for a long time, you've heard that word. The tithe isn't really a New Testament teaching as much. So some people say, well, I don't have to do it because it's not a New Testament teaching. Well, let me tell you, just like every other Old Testament teaching out there, it does carry over under the law of grace, or not under the law, but under grace. But at the same time, we have to realize that grace has always taken everything farther, everything further than than what it was before. And with the reason why we tithe, and by the way, the word tithe is 10%. It actually means a tenth. So if you're giving less than 10% and you say, well, here's my tithe, it's not a tithe. Just going to be, just going to tell you that because the word means 10%. But when it, when it talks about it in the, in the New Testament, we don't do it because we're under the law. We do it because we have a loving relationship with God and we realize our place in the whole situation. And that's the reason why we give. And that's the reason why we give. And you know, I'll be honest with you. For a long time, I didn't have enough money to tithe. Or at least so I thought. That was my excuse. That was one of my excuses. I also had other excuses where I said, well, I'll just tithe in other ways. I have to drive to church, so I'm just going to use my gas money as part of my tithe. Maybe you've used that excuse before. Maybe you've used the one, well, I'm just going to volunteer my time, and I'll tithe my time instead of my... Let me be very clear what the Bible says. A tithe is off your gross income, and it's not off of your time. God wants those other things as well, but that's... And, and the reason why I'm saying this is because I think a lot of people misunderstand it and people have ha- heard it mistaught before or they've just plucked whatever they wanted to out of the Bible because we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to, to say, well, I'm going to take this part, but I don't like this part, so I'm going to leave that out. I'm going to obey this part of what God wants me to do, but I'm not going to do this part. And it's funny, I've heard it explained this way before. That's like being a burglar, breaking into a house, getting caught, and when the officer says, what are you doing? He goes, well, I didn't speed on the way over here. 
You know, it, it's that type of justification that it is, well, as long as I don't break this law, it's okay if I break this one. You know, and, and that kind of thinking can get us into that. And so we have to make sure that, that we are being obedient in all areas because Jesus Christ died on the cross to impact our entire lives, not just part of it. Radical obedience in one area of our lives does not excuse disobedience in any other area. Another excuse, like I said, I've heard before is that I can't afford to tithe, and I've said that myself. But in my own life, and in my own marriage, and in the finances that I have, I will testify to this time after time after time after time that God can do more with the 90% I have left than I can with the 100% that I started out with. He always has. He always has. Some people say I can't afford not to tithe, or I, I can't afford to tithe, and I say you can't afford not to. And once again, it's not because I want your money. So please understand that. We have to open our eyes to what we can do with the, with the tithe. It's not because we want your money, but it's because God wants what's rightfully His. It's a spiritual act of worship. It's because it reminds us that God is the source of all we have, and it opens our eyes to the fact that God comes before stuff. So the first thing we can do is open our eyes and ears to what God is saying. The second thing is we can choose generosity over greed. We can choose generosity over greed. When you see a need, meet it. When you see a need, meet it. Share your stuff. And the reason why is because it teaches us a big lesson that we can live without the stuff when we give it to somebody else or because we share it with somebody else. Have you ever seen the TV show Hoarders? If you have never seen it, just watch it once and be disgusted with the desire for more. Just once. Of course, you won't be able to turn it off because you're just like, oh, seriously? Oh. And they'll be picking up old food. They save everything, and it's just terrible. But yet, that starts out the the primary need, the primary words the kids use is, it's mine. That's mine. My kids fight about it all the time. That's mine. He can't have it. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. That's the number one fight in our kids' house, in the house with our kids, I mean. This is about, it's mine. We learn it in early age and we get so caught up in stuff, but if we are generous before greedy, it changes everything. The third thing we can do is this. We can prioritize and we can commit. We can prioritize and we can commit. We can commit to God. And even, I think this is something that most of us in here need to do. And some of you probably already have and, and you are my heroes. But we need to prioritize and commit to get ourselves out of debt. Because like I said, that debt is a slave. That debt is a slave. Last night, Camden asked me, we were talking a little bit. Uh, it's funny because he was, he and I have talked about budgeting, but it's more about his drink at dinner because he only gets so much to drink and then um, he's done. And he's like, he'll drink it all right at the beginning and be like, well, I want more. And I said, well, you don't have any more. And, uh, and so we started talking about the economy and he's like, well, what's an economy? And I said, well, it's, it's the, the money that makes the country run. You know, simple, simple speaking. And he goes, he goes, well, why are you telling me about that? I said, well, our economy and our, our nation is in debt. I said, we spend more than we take in, and that's from the government on down. And I said, and that's a problem, because when you have to borrow more, then you have to pay it back with interest. And, of course, then he's like, well, what's interest? And so we had a great discussion, and he probably was completely confused by the time we left. But we had a good discussion about, about why we need to budget and why we need to prioritize and commit to get out of debt. And, you know, it takes work. It's not like I can say it today, hey, guys, you need to get out of debt, and tomorrow you're like, hey, I am. I did it, thanks. Thanks for telling me yesterday. It's all good. It's going to take work. 
And there are plans that are out there, and there's some great things by a guy by the name of Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. Maybe you've heard of that, Total, Total Money Makeover. Books that I would suggest that you get and read over. And you don't have to do everything, but the great thing is in the, both those books is there's a plan. There's a plan of action. And it might take you months, and it might take you years to get it done. But I suggest start working towards it. And you have to work at it, and you have to do it. You can't just say it, you have to do it. I know that sounds like something we say every week, but doesn't that make sense? can't just say it, you actually have to do it. We have to be content. Want to hear what Paul has to say about it all? He wrote in his letter to the Philippian church, in chapter 4, verse 11, it says this, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with what I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And it's funny because a lot of times we take that and we'll use that verse in, the, in what it, doing activities and things like that. But this is about being content. We can be content through Christ who gives me strength. I want you to know that I'm not teaching a poverty theology either. There's some people out there that will teach that you have to be broke in order to, to be an effective servant of God. God wouldn't bless us with money, I think, that, that he'd want us to be broke. But I think he does want us to know this as we walk away, that having money is not a sin, but money having you is. If we're going to lack contentment in any area of our life, I think it only should be in our relationship with God that we're not content with where our relationship is, that we're ever-changing and ever-growing closer to Him and putting Him first and nothing else should take its place. And the final thing, the final thing I think we need to do is we need to trust God. Because I really think that it all boils down to the reason why we're not content and we don't give to Him and we don't let Him manage our, our you know, be the owner of our time and we just need to manage it is because we don't trust Him. We don't trust him with our finances. We don't trust him with those things because we're afraid that he can't control it. The God who created the universe, the God who put breath into you and me, can't control our money. That's our thinking. And we're wrong about that. And we have to get past that. And we have to put our trust in God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. As a matter of fact, there's a song that goes along with it that was written with that. It's called Trust. And I've asked Jerome and Christy to come up and sing that as we wrap up this morning. And uh, I'm going to step to the back while we're, they're singing this song. And, and if you want me to pray with you, if you want me to help you, I would love to be able to do it. But I've also got one prayer commitment. I've got to go over to the, the kids' side and talk to them about baptism and challenge them as Laura this morning. She's teaching on accepting the Lord as a personal Savior. And I'm going to teach them just a little bit about baptism and get them prepared that if any of them, so many of you may have questions when you get home about, uh, the kid, your kids may have questions to ask you or about getting baptized on the 29th. So if that's something that, uh, that you hear about, please contact me, or uh, if they come to me, I'm going to ask them to talk to you first, because I'm not going to be the one that makes the decision with them. I want you to be. So um, that is something I'm going to go over and do. So I'm going to step back to the back for just a minute, and, uh, and, and I'll be there to pray with you. Otherwise, I'm going to sneak over, and I'll be around for the, the rest of the time. I'm here till we clean up everything. So if there's a time you want to pull me aside during that time, too, please do that. So let's pray, and then I'm going to let them sing. And, uh, and just listen to the words of this song as it talks about trust. So let's pray. Father, we love you, 
And we do thank you. And we thank you for who you are. And I pray, Lord, that each person in here can, can muster up in their heart, if they haven't already, that trust that is necessary to completely give you full control of our finances and our time. And, Lord, that we just manage it. That we just manage it and not try and take ownership of it because it is yours. Help us to get through that through our heads to be content in this world that we live in. We pray it all in your name. Amen.